Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First, it's free. How much better does it get? Second, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Third, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever your audience is tuning in, your podcast will be there. Fourth, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. Look at us. We have less than 100 listeners per episode, yet we still make money on ads. Granted, it's not a lot, but we still make money. And finally, it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm. That's anchor, the thing you throw off your boat, .fm to get started. Another edition of the JMU Sports News Podcast. I'm Ben Conlin, joined by Jack Fitzpatrick. We're talking about a relatively close JMU football win, which is maybe a little bit of a shock for some people. Yeah, for the first time since Elon in 2020, or I guess the 2021 spring season, so not actually that long ago, but Ben and I thought it was longer, um, JMU trailed in the fourth quarter and had to come back and win the game. It's very rare that JMU, like, trails, I think, I was looking it up, and they have um, they're twenty five and three under Signetti, and I think four of the wins have come by seven points or fewer. So, like whatever that math is, eighty percent of the time, basically, um, they win by more than a touchdown under Signetti, and they win most of the time under Signetti too. So it's just really rare that JMU has a game um, that that doesn't. You know, seventy-five percent of the games are won by more than a touchdown. So to win twenty-three, twenty-one, um, pretty wild. I think I think there are a lot of positives from it. I don't know about you, but like, do you think the team kind of benefits from? Obviously, the way they played was not all that positive. I guess we can start there. What are your impressions of just the overall performance? Well, I'll say this: the defense played an absolute lights-out game. At the end of the day, they truly held them. Like in my mind, I'm going to say they held. New Hampshire into a shutout. The defense didn't allow any points. The one touchdown they allowed was on a short field. And then the defense of New Hampshire scored two touchdowns. So at the end of the day, they had 21 points off turnovers. Jamie had 23 points in total. The defense, the defense showed up and did their job. And the offense did a really good job of moving the ball as well. The first touchdown UNH scored was a 93-yard fumble return for a touchdown, which doesn't happen – that's the only time it's going to happen this season against JMU. Like that's just a fluke type of play, but it happened, and it went into this. It went into the box score. Uh, secondly, it was a pick six. I I don't really remember the play all that well. I believe it was like a uh, almost like a bubble screen or something like a quick pass type to the right side. Cole threw it, and they just jumped it and took it. And it was, that was how they I believe how they started the second half. So out of nowhere, you're sitting there and you're down, or you're up seventeen fourteen and the UNH offense just hasn't moved the ball. In total, they had 11 first downs. They only had 31 rushing yards and 131 passing yards. So 162 total yards. Not a great showing for the UNH offense, but somehow they put up 21 points. But, I mean, at the end of the day, JMU was the far better team. They just made 
stupid mistakes, stupid mistakes that, that almost cost them the game. But they didn't. The defense played a great game, though. That's what I'll say. I mentioned the uh, New Hampshire Stony Brook game way too many times in this podcast. We're going to do it again. I feel like we talked for multiple weeks about how um, New Hampshire, like, will capitalize on your mistakes, even though they might not have the talent to, like, go out and beat you. Yeah. We joked about how Stony Brook um, gave up two touchdown drives of fewer than five yards. Um, and that's kind of how New Hampshire won that game. And then in this one, JMU hands them two defensive touchdowns. Like that's, that's obviously a massive change in the game to still win with that happening is, is a pretty big deal. Yeah. The, the New Hampshire offensive stats are pretty hilarious because they really didn't do anything, but. They're not a um, good offensive team. Like watching them. No. Like, the defense, all, like the defense played lights out. They, they held them to, 162 total yards no like barely any first downs they barely converted third downs they were punting all like the defense played a great game but at the same time the UNH offense just isn't a good offense like they didn't get pushed at the line of scrimmage the passes were off they just like when their defense like if they had if their defense played an average game and if JMU played an average game UNH wouldn't have scored points yeah, I think that they, I mean, they really did nothing. So a shutout was certainly in play if they didn't make those self-inflicted mistakes. Is there any positive to JMU having a game where, like, you don't play well, but you still win by two in terms of, like, maybe it's good at some point to have been tested? Oh, I think at the end, like, yeah, of course it is. You played a terrible game of football and you still somehow managed to pull it out. Like, that, that, that knowledge, that understanding of how your team, like, responds to it that's great um do I want to see that every week no I'd, I'd much rather Jamie never be tested for the rest of the season and just play it for, like like I, I understand what people are saying I understand what Signetti was saying in his press conference like yeah we played a bad game and we still came out with the win that's great um and they were tested all that good stuff I, I just wish they never were like just don't be play a better game I will say as as because I was texting out, I was texting you throughout the game because you were covering UVA football, I believe. No, I was just I was hanging out with a lady friend. Oh, never mind. They had a they had a Thursday game, and I was <laughs> like, I'll take advantage of my free weekend. So yeah, I totally missed out on <laughs> on this one. Well, you text me at, at in like the fourth quarter. Are we gonna win? Expecting me to respond with, Oh yeah, we're up three. I scores. think I was. I think I was at a a brewery. Counting back some brewskis. Yeah, and then I go, we're going to lose. We're going to lose. There's no way we win this. The text thread was fascinating. So I kind of – I also pulled up, like, live stats and or scores on my phone just to be like, all right, what is what does this mean? <laughs> Where, what was I going with that before all of that? Oh, man, what was it? It was something – You watched this game and I didn't. Yeah, I, I don't remember where I was. I don't even remember what you really said to, like, lead me into this point. I was talking about how they might have some positives from finding a way to win. I think you were talking about how you didn't want them to be tested. Yeah, I really don't remember. <laughs> this, this is great. <laughs> um, no, I have no idea. It was, it, was, right, well, it was a game they gutted out. They won. They got the dub. Oh, what I was saying, throughout the game I kept texting, like, especially after they scored the first two defensive touchdowns. I was like – those are both flukes. We're still going to win by three scores. The second half adjustments by UNH, they kind of shut down the JMU offense. Um, UNH's defense was really good. 
and they held they held the offense, which was which is normally pretty potent, to all right second half second half stats. Cole finished with 273 yards, three touchdowns, a pick six. He was sacked three times, but I think the story of the game and some people were saying about. I'll get your take on this. Percy Ajay Obase got six attempts, 23 yards. Um, Long was nine. Not a lot of attempts. He didn't – I don't think he saw the field until the third quarter. What is your take on that? If he's healthy enough to play, why doesn't he start? I think it's because of the nature of the injury would be my guess. Um, so it was a hamstring thing, which I'm guessing. Um, and I don't have a lot of experience with injuries, to be honest with you. But, like, you don't? if you're you dealing – You don't ACL from standing up on the couch? <laughs> if you're dealing with a hamstring injury – that's like a really nagging one and like talking with with coaches and things like especially from from covering UVA like a lot of the times when a player takes like weirdly long to come back it's a lower leg or a hamstring kind of thing that that just like nags so my guess is he hasn't done a ton of like conditioning work um, because it's hard to run and things like that and he's like one of the best players in the conference so my my guess would be that he is healthy enough to play but not healthy enough in their eyes where he warrants a full workload. So they tried to work him in and get him something. They did in the second half. I saw someone tweet at us. I think that um, it made sense partially because like people are flying around at the beginning of the game. So maybe you can get him in there later. I actually don't think that's a, a terrible logic, right? Where like maybe he has fresh legs later in the game. Um, it can bring something. So my guess is that his workload is going to increase a lot. Um, from a selfish perspective, I was really happy to see Palmer get 18 carries, which is a career high for him. Um, some of those weren't the most productive. The whole running game wasn't all that productive. Um, but yeah, I think Percy getting back to a full workload is going to help a lot. And Palmer being kind of a heavy workload is good. So I wasn't too concerned with the low workload, but at the same time, um, I hope that soon he's ready to go. Because at least in my perspective, I don't know how you feel. Like if Percy can give you something big the next three weeks that seems really valuable where you could almost taper him off again in the final four weeks because the games are not that hard and like kind of get in with Douglas and Palmer like I know that's a weird way to think about it like I'm not opposed to him if he needs a rest week in November like give it to him but the next three are the ones that are going to determine a lot in terms of playoff seating in my opinion yeah I agree I also some people were saying yeah, he's not he, he's not conditioned enough to be able to handle a full work, workload, and everything you said makes sense. I, I I also wonder if Jamie's up two or three scores in the second half if he even sees the field. Like I wonder if he was kind of in the back pocket of like, hey, we might not need him, like, so let's not force him. But then when they saw what was happening, I, I understand something I just looked at, and it's very interesting to me because I was like, wow, Jamie only rushed for 187 yards. I thought that'd be a season low. They've surprisingly only rushed for 100. They've only rushed for more than 200 yards once this season against Morehead State. Really? What'd they get in the other ones? Like 184, 180 something. Like this is around their average. They have been really pass heavy this year, which has been been kind of interesting. So they've gotten it going in that in the passing game. And some of it though is was the workload higher at all? I think some of that too is like sometimes uh, against Maine, they only ran it 27 times and still got 100 plus or whatever. Yeah. Where this one, it felt a little more of a slog. But but Cole Johnson's clicking, man. He's been yeah. playing great. 18 of, no, wow, wrong person. 33 of 44. Granted, I was looking at Brett Edwards for a second. I was like, wow, that's not a good stat line. 
then I scrolled up and I realized, no, he was 33 for 44, 273, three touchdowns, a long of 30. And Chris Thornton was feeling it. I mean, Chris Thornton, we've, we've been talking about Antoine Wells. He's been Mr. Touchdown, all these catches, all these yards, kind of hampered with, I think, like an ankle or something in the Weber State game. So that might still be nagging here two weeks later. But that didn't matter because Chris Thornton and Reggie Brown, too. Reggie Brown had four catches, one being a touchdown. They got it everywhere. Kevin Curry Jr. got in on the action. Um, a lot of names that I'm not used to seeing, in all honesty. Scott Bracey didn't get a catch. I don't know if he played. I don't know what his status was. I believe he might have gotten hurt against Weber State. I really wish this was, like, more, more accessible. Um, but that's for a different podcast about college athletics and their availability with player injuries. Chris Thornton, though, 12 receptions, 112 yards, two touchdowns including the game winner, he was, he was on one. He was, he was absolutely demolishing the UNH um, secondary. And really a lot, like the passing game was working well for JMU. Outside of the, outside of the pick, Cole was sacked and fumbled, and that, was, that set up the short field for them to score. But really other than that, like they were clicking on all cylinders through the air. Yeah, Chris Thornton probably isn't appreciated as much as he should be. Like, he's someone that, like, Wells kind of overshadows because Wells is so young and so good. But, like, Chris Thornton after the game leads the team in receptions. He's 28 yards behind Wells, and he's only one touchdown behind. Like, those are the two guys that they go to the most, and they've been really good. Chris Thornton is really good. And we've kind of talked in the past where, like, if Wells draws in the defense, Thornton's a beast. Um, the touchdown pass, I did see that. The final touchdown pass, the go-ahead touchdown. Really good throw, really good catch. Like, just a well-done play. Ballsy play call, too, I got to say. It's third and 11, if I remember correctly. And you're doing an end zone shot. Like, you're not playing for the first down there. You were playing for the touchdown. I loved it. It all worked out really well and, and just an awesome play by the Duke. So, to see them play badly and still have, like, a, a long drive to go take the lead and win the game was awesome and then I guess we should probably talk a little bit about Tucker Dorsey making a play at the end and, and sealing the deal because New Hampshire we've trashed their offense a little but they had a little something going at least where they felt like they could get into field goal range yeah they, they had a little something in second half it, it really wasn't as cliche as it sounds it was a tale of two halves you know like the first half UNH like was absolutely abysmal and the second half they made the adjustments they slowed down JMU's offense and their offense got going on the other side just I don't really know how they only rushed for 56 total yards and three, I guess a lot of that came in the second half, um, but they were doing what they needed to do. Tucker Dorsey though, finished with five total tackles, half a tackle for loss and had a pick like, and, and there was the game ceiling pick and he, he kind of seemed to be everywhere at once. And was was fantastic. Like Tucker Dorsey, I feel like, gets over the whole I mean even I did it when during the uh the the position previews in the preseason the linebackers get overshadowed by sometimes the poor play of the secondary and then the fantastic play of the front seven or of the front five or the front four as I keep bringing it down and down and down where we don't really fully appreciate that this weird defense I believe they play with two linebackers demands a lot out of Tucker Dorsey and Azanima. And they continuously put up lots of tackles and make big plays when they need to. And Tucker Dorsey did it again this week. 
Yeah, really cool to see them playing well. And like you mentioned, kind of need them to play well uh, within a 4-2-5 scheme, which is kind of multiple but not not all that common. Um, so it's it's really fun to see the defense still playing well. Like they haven't given up, you know, more than 20-plus in a game. And like you were saying, like the defense did not give up 21 points in the game, right? The, the, <laughs> the offense yeah, kind of gave up. And honestly, the defense didn't even give up seven. Like I really don't chalk that up because when you get the ball, I believe it was like a 20-yard drive, your back's already against the wall. Then all of a sudden they have the momentum on their homecoming. Like I'm not chalking that touchdown up to the defense either. I really, I think this was a 23-0 win that had 21 fluke points. And those 21 fluke points almost cost Jamie the game. Yeah, I mean, it was just a sloppy performance. They came out with a win, which is awesome. To have, I mean, I think you can't really ask for much more, right? They played two home games and won each of them by 48-plus points, and they have road wins at Weber State and at New Hampshire. Like, that's that's a really good resume. Against number nine, Weber, and number 25, New Hampshire. Like, ranked road wins, fantastic. And then they go to Villanova this weekend in front of a sold-out crowd at Bridgeforth. They haven't bred, they have been at, sorry, they haven't played at Bridgeforth since September 11th. So nearly a month away from their home stadium. And they're going to come back to family weekend, a sold-out crowd, a top 15 matchup against a Villanova team that's looking really solid. What are your expectations? Unless you have anything else you want to add on New Hampshire. And if you don't, we can dive into this Villanova matchup. I think Villanova's good. So I think it'll be a fun one. And yeah, like you're saying, it's been a really long time. And it'll be kind of a long time again. They go... October 9th, and they don't play at home again until October 30th, so a couple of weeks weird there. schedule. Like, so weird. It's backloaded with home games against boring teams. So, in terms of, like, a ticket perspective, <laughs> it seems kind of like a nightmare. But <laughs> um, in terms of this weekend, obviously, being sold out is exciting. This is really the one – I mean, it's really the one, like, marquee home matchup that I think is exciting. Not that the other one aren't, aren't but, I, I mean, you've got, like, homecoming, but – I don't think Campbell moves the needle in terms of an opponent. So um, I'm really interested to see it. And because Villanova's got a bye coming in. Like, I just, I don't know. This one feels like it could be interesting again. Yeah. And New Hampshire, we thought would be interesting because it was New Hampshire, right? This one, we feel like it can be interesting because it's actually a good team. And coming in, you have Justin Covington, who I believe is like a sixth year senior. Um, and he's a top three running back in the CAA, averages over 80 yards per game. And then pair that with Daniel Smith, who right now isn't necessarily lighting it up in terms of stats like we're kind of used to with Daniel Smith. But I think that's a really big plus. The running backs are taking some of the workload off of Daniel Smith. He's thrown for 820 yards this season. He's completing over 60% of his passes. And he has an efficiency rating of 154.7 which is third best in the CAA. Daniel Smith is doing what we expect him to do year in and year out. There's always that time when Daniel Smith kind of reverts back and throws a lot of interceptions and doesn't and isn't as efficient as we know he can be. But it looks like he's kind of put that together a little bit recently and with Justin Covington coming into the play. Villanova, I, I know I've been kind of wishy-washy on them. I've been like, they always start good and they finish they finish poorly and then they lose to southeastern louisiana in the first round of the playoffs they they just absolutely combust in the spring season don't even make the playoffs i think this is a team that's good i think this is a team that's going to give jamie a run 
I think it has a chance to be really competitive. I've been impressed with what uh, Villanova has done. I think they're a playoff team. Like you look at the schedule, I think they can find a way to get four more wins. Their only loss right now is to Penn State. Penn State's like a borderline college football playoff team, honestly, the way Penn State's been playing this year. So super impressed with Villanova, what they have. Everything you said was spot on in terms of the offense, having some different multiple playmakers. And yeah, it's kind of nice, like, if you're a Villanova fan, that Daniel Smith has been good, but he's not lighting people up necessarily. So you have that, and the team is still kind of blowing people out and has been really competitive. Got a nice win against Richmond, which could end up being like a, a playoff elimination kind of game. I know it was in September, but Richmond figures to be a bubble team, and that one might push them off the edge. So I think Villanova's good. I think this is an awesome test. Richmond, I think, is a decent team, and so is so is Delaware. We'll see if Nolan Henderson can play in that one. But the next three have me interested. Like, I think they'll be good competitive football games, which is really interesting and, and good. And I think, JMU could be tested again. Uh, the other thing that I do come back to, though, is I think the New Hampshire game serves a little bit as a wake-up call. Like, I think the players will be like, all right, like, we really got to come out next queue because if we do, we can blow teams out. And if we don't, it can be a bit of a struggle. So if the defense plays well again in front of 25,000 fans and the offense actually executes well, it's a game that I think Villanova is better than New Hampshire, but I still think it, it maybe is more of a lopsided score just because of those different factors. Yeah, I mean, JMU is one of the top two or three teams in the country. And, I mean, again, I will defend JMU for this. They executed really well against New Hampshire. You can't scheme up. Uh, he's going out of bounds, a force fumble that bounces and happens to just stay in, right? Like, it was real fluky stuff against New Hampshire, and they executed well. And if, if the flukes didn't happen, they, they blow them out. Um, something interesting that I thought was a typo, but apparently it's not, Rajon Pringle, their, their wide receiver, he has 10 receptions this season, leads the team in yards with 251. Half of his catches are touchdowns, if I'm not mistaken. How, yeah, you're correct on that. And he averages then 25 yards per catch and he averages 62 yards a game. That's insane. I'm assuming the guy flies. Uh, looks like he also returns punts at least a little bit, and he's 5'9", so my guess is the guy just <laughs> can really run. <laughs> and, Grant, and then they have the seventh best wide receiver in the CAA, and Jaron Hayek. He has 17 receptions for 228 yards and three touchdowns. So – just, just something. Their secondary is going to be tested, and I do kind of worry about that with a speed demon and Rajon Pringle for what we assume, and another guy who seems to be a top ten wide receiver in the CAA. I kind of worry about the the secondary minus Wesley McCormick. So you have Taurus Carroll, Greg Ross, MJ Hampton is still out. So that's Wayne Davis and uh, Q Reed, and I don't know who the third defense or the fifth defensive back would be, but. I do kind of worry about that. But at the same time, if, we, if you can slow down Justin Covington in their run game, you might be able to funnel everything through the air or open up an early lead and force them to pass more. Things might go your way, and you can kind of scheme up more and, and drop some more guys into coverage. Yeah, and to be a little devil's advocate on myself from a few minutes ago where I talked about all the kind of the perfect storm for JMU, I do think Villanova counteracts that a little bit with the fact that they just played a Penn State, which is like, 100,000 people, and then they had a bye week after that to prepare for JMU. Like, I think both of those help a ton. I still think it's going to be a tough ask for Villanova to win the game. 
Um, but Villanova is a good football team that's that looks like a playoff team. And it's good for JMU to have – it's a stretch of essentially four games against playoff teams or, – or five games, sorry, against playoff teams or borderline playoff teams. Um, it's going to help them a lot. And then especially considering the end of the season, they're going to play a bunch of cupcakes. Um, so I think they can learn a lot from these games, and hopefully they do. I think New Hampshire provides a bunch of lessons in terms of, like, you know, what can happen if things don't go well, keeping you ready, and then also how you can fight back when you don't have your best stuff. Like, it reminded me a little bit of the Colgate game where it's like, wow, JMU's the more talented team, but clearly they don't have the best their best stuff and they're making a bunch of mistakes, but to find a way to win is it's a pretty big deal. So I think JMU fans should be pleased with that win. I agree. It was, it was also fun to be on the edge of your seat at the end of a game. Like normally around the third quarter, I kind of have tuned out and I'm doing other things as they lead by 50 going into the fourth. Um, but it was fun to have the UNH game where it's still close at the end. Also worth mentioning with Villanova, we've talked a lot about their offense, almost exclusively about their offense. They are the second best defense behind JMU. They play really good defense. They feel like a complete team. This is this isn't the the Villanova that we've known from past. This is I think this is a legit Villanova team that's going to give JMU all they can handle. I think JMU is still the better team, but Villanova is going to give them a run. This isn't going to be another easy game. No, this is a good one. It's a it's a great test for them. I'm excited. I'm kind of excited too to see. Cole Johnson try to stack performances together like he obviously did at the end of last season and he's done it this year if he gets through like this whole gauntlet of a stretch and keeps putting up 200 plus yards multiple touchdowns and one or no interceptions like the guy looks like he's in the spot to be the CA offensive player of the year and he kind of looks like he's in a spot to be a Bennett, which is really exciting. I'm going to be waiting for this, and I'm keeping this in the podcast. Please recite everything you just said because you cut out so hard. <laughs> That's tough. I saw your face freeze, and I was like, I hope it comes back. <laughs> All right, so him, what did you say about Cole? What did you, you just – what do you love about I was him? saying – I was saying that Cole's playing great football, and if he can get through this next stretch, continuing to play good football, and then kind of beat up on the last four teams, he feels like he'll be a huge weapon in the postseason. Yeah. I think that's something that I kind of – I think that's going to be the thing in the postseason that differentiates teams. Like, you look at the top five or ten teams. Defenses are good. They can run the football. What do you have at quarterback? And I don't know if we wanted to get into national stuff, but, like, South Dakota State, really like what they have at quarterback. Eric Schmidt's pretty darn good for Sam Houston. I think North Dakota State has a little bit of a passing game issue. Um, I don't know if they necessarily have some at quarterback. So, like, I think that's what could separate a team from JMU and, like, North Dakota State of actually being national title contenders. And it feels like Cole Johnson's in the upper echelon of quarterbacks, which to me is really exciting if you're a JMU fan. The defense seems to be kind of clicking. Yeah, to harp on North Dakota State, you mentioned it before we started recording. Quincy Patterson had 11 pass attempts last week and 11 rushing attempts. Like, something's not clicking with that passing attack. It was also the same in the spring season when Zeb Nolan was their starter, who eventually got benched, didn't really have a passing attack. They relied solely on their rushing attack, and you saw what happened. They were an early exit from the playoffs, 
and you look at it, Sam Houston, they're number one in the stats perform, top 25, good quarterback. South Dakota State, good quarterback. And then also to back up with that, they have Mark Gronowski, who's also a great quarterback who's injured, and it's an FBS transfer they have at quarterback right now. So they're set for a while. JMU, Cole Johnson, for everything we've seen, great quarterback. Eastern Washington come off of, coming off of a huge win yeah. against Montana where their defense showed up. Their defense didn't allow 60 points. Their defense only allowed like 28. So another great – like Eastern – so I think the top four teams, you're looking at real national title contenders. And for the first time, I would say North Dakota State isn't a favorite to win, isn't the favorite to win. And I would strongly urge you, if you're a betting person, not to put any money on North Dakota State to win it all. Yeah, I think there are a lot of teams that will compete, and quarterbacks are, are a big deal. And I was even – last week's stats were even more skewed for North Dakota State. So his Patterson season stats are like the passing and rushing are the same. Last week, I didn't realize this. He ran – or he threw it like 10 times. He ran at 19 last week. So they even went farther on the skewed last week. They had I mean, they, – I mean, they barely threw the ball as a team, ran the ball a ton, ended up beating North Dakota by six in like a weird – slugfest game but I don't know I think I would like to have a passing attack if I'm a team trying to win the national yeah, title I agree and a great rushing attack and and I mean we're putting a lot on an injured hamstring of Percy Ajay Obase, but we're expecting a lot from when he comes back fully healthy to pair that alongside Latrell Palmer who's shown that he can be a bell cow running back alongside Lorenzo Bryan Jr. didn't have his best game but I mean when you have a seventh 17th year senior in the backfield that's always a plus and you have um austin douglas i believe yeah yeah he's gotten to get mixed up with what position he's playing today but yeah austin douglas and then alex miller is a running back but that was just because he had the uh, fake fake field goal which can we talk about real quick in the new hampshire game i know we're now jumping yes please do please do I was so surprised to see a fake field goal that early on in the game. Picked up the first down. Good on Signetti. I just want to take a minute. If you can, pause the podcast, stand up, do a standing ovation for Kurt Signetti on that play call because that is fantastic. I think that might be the only real concern for me or major concern for me for JMU is like, are they going to be aggressive enough to win the national title? Because I think the defense is there. I think the special teams has the pieces. I think the offense is there. Like, if they go out there and, like, not to be too cliche, but, like, play to win, you know what I mean? Like, if they go out there and take games where it's like, all right, let's fake it early. Let's do what we got to do to really take games, be aggressive on fourth down. I have a hard time seeing them struggling too much. And I think I kind of got on Houston in his final year in uh, at JMU. They were like the lowest of teams, FBS, FCS, D2, D3, in terms of fourth down conversions and attempts going into that Colgate playoff game. Um, and I think I was looking at ECU last week, went for it on fourth down like five times. Like that's the kind of thing that I think makes a huge difference is if you can be aggressive in games and roll the dice, whether it's a fake or a fourth down conversion. If JMU can do that, like they're 4-0 with two awesome road wins. The running game hasn't been dominant. They haven't played their best football. They're still undefeated. Like, this, I feel like it's a national championship team. Like, it's a team that can legitimately run the table, and some of that is going to come down to, like you were saying, give Signetti some applause. Like, if they're aggressive and really go all out in some of these games, take deep shots, whatever, they're, they should be – I still think they should be the national champion. I know how good South Dakota State is. I know all these teams, but, like, 
I just feel like JMU's athletes, the coaching, the pieces on every, like the depth, it, it should be a national championship winning team. And, and you look at it, at that moment when we saw them do the fake, we didn't think it was the game-winning play. But you look back, they went on to score a touchdown, and they win by two points. I would call that a game-winning play. Yeah, it's the stuff we like to get really caught up in, like whatever the final play is or whatever. But yeah, there are plays that go into a game that determine the outcome throughout it. That was certainly one of them. And it's it's cool to see JMU kind of going out and taking stuff because I've been really high on this team all year, and I still am because I just think the talent is there. And really the only question coming into the year is, like, will Cole Johnson maintain what he did in the spring? It looks way better than he was in the spring. He looks He looks great. He looks fantastic. He looks like one of, if not the best quarterback in the CAA. Granted, Davis Cheek has just gaudy numbers. I don't know how he has 2,500 passing yards. And when you're down 20 in the game. That's a little odd. Um, <laughs> that's a Let's, look Let's take but, a look at this guy. But Cole leads the CAA in touchdowns with 16. He leads it in efficiency with 175.3. Followed by Kaysom Hill, who has 170. Go Rhode Island, am I right? And he averages over 250 yards a game. Like Cole Johnson is balling out on every level, and I think that's the key to Jamie being great. Also, it's kind of crazy that his long, his longest pass of the season is 32 yards, which is worst in the CAA. Who is that? Cole. I think these stats are. I think these stats are very wrong. Is this okay. the CAA website? Yeah. Because Elon is saying that Cheek has 1,400 passing yards. Okay. And I think, I think Wells has like a really long touchdown catch. It's I thought like so a, too. So, it, yeah. so I, I've been basing a lot of what I was saying about Villanova <laughs> off of the CA website because you know I assumed the conference website would be correct. Um, nope. All right. So I, I stand by what I said. I do still think Daniel Smith's a really good quarterback, and I believe Justin Covington's a really good running back. Uh, but those numbers may have been wrong. I apologize. Their, their defense is still really good. They're giving up like 17 points a game, and that includes the Penn State game. Okay, so that's, that's what the CA website has. I wonder if Elon – this is a complete aside from like the press box point of view from how we worked it for – you did it for like a season with, with Madison. Yeah. And I worked it for three seasons. I wonder if Elon sent them the wrong file – like sent the league they, off. They could have, but they've still got the wrong, like long for Cole and stuff, which is alarming. That's that's a good point. I wonder if they're I wonder if their quarterback stats are just off. That would make sense. Or they just like forgot to update or something, or somebody put in a wrong number. Yeah, that's probably it. All right. So uh Yeah. <laughs> I love it when that happens. Just everything's completely wrong. It really makes my power rankings now look a little different. Um, wow. No, I still trust your power rankings. Yeah, Rhode Island's still the third best team in the CAA. They've been looking impressive. Should we transition to CAA pickup? We should. So I am going undergoing a, a move right now. This is for all the listeners yes. for why those CAA power rank, not the CAA pickup is kind of all over the place kind of going under going through a move and I've kind of misplaced where I had all of our picks. So I don't know exactly what our record is last week. If I remember correctly, we both lost a game last week. We picked the same games and we lost. Elon beat Richmond. 
Elon beat, beat Richmond, Richmond 20 to 7 at Richmond. We both That's picked horrible. Richmond. So I think now you have three losses. Yeah, that would make sense. And I have. I think I yeah, that's probably. I don't know. I might only have two. No, because I remember you lost one either <laughs> last week or the week before. I remember that. Yeah, I thought I did. No, I don't think so. I I'm think gonna... you did. I'm sure. <laughs> gonna... I don't know what game it was. I, might... I may have. I'm gonna have to go through and like listen to our podcast one of these days. I might do that tomorrow. I might go through. Check I'm gonna give you that it's just so the podcast listening audience can can. Frank, it's okay. Come here, Frank. I will check our work. We normally do these toward the middle end. It will not be that hard to find. You can find. It'll be easy. Um, I believe. And I will. I didn't realize Mancuso was hurt, which I feel like we should almost get a, a freebie. <laughs> no, because he didn't play in that game. No, it's still the one. <laughs> Richmond just dropped in my power rankings like five spots. If you lose to Elon, granted, I will say Albany is the worst team in the CAA, like statistics wise. They are the worst. Along with Stoney. Good one for Elon. All right, so Elon travels to Maine as Bennett watches uh, the Red Sox-Yankees game, and he's freaking out over his $10 bet on the Red Sox. Who do you got, Elon or Maine? It's at Orono. I like Maine there. I think they had a bye week. Um, If there's one thing we know about Maine, they put in some funky stuff after bye weeks, right? That's something people have always said. You do not want to go to Maine and see the trick bag after a bye. So Elon probably, you know. Who says that? What's good. your source on that? I've never a heard of people, A lot of people said that. Elon's probably spending most of the week partying because they beat Richmond. They're probably out at clubs getting shwasted. So my guess is Maine comes in focused. They run about five to seven gadget plays per drive and then find a way to get the thing done. All right. I'm going to pick Maine too, um, mainly because if I ever pick Elon – the world's ending. Delaware at Rhode Island. Who do you got? I'm taking Rhode Island. I've no, no, no. You're not allowed to take Rhode Island. That's my team. <laughs> yeah. No, I've been on this train for I so long. Rhode Island train. <laughs> <Travis, what? laughs> Get out of town. Kyle Schwarber. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Baby, let's fucking go. Woo. <laughs> Woo. All right, Delaware, Rhode Island. You can't take Rhode Hell Island. Hell yeah. 435, that's a nuke. All right. Uh, taking Rhode Island. <laughs> Are you taking... <laughs> I have no idea what you said. Did you just say we're both taking them? No, I said you're not allowed yeah. to. I've been on Rhode Island for the past three seasons. For no, the- Case, and, Case and Taysom Hill. I forget 90% of the time which one is like the Saints guy and which one is Rhode Island, but it's Kaysen for, for Rhode Island. He's going to – oh, they put him in a wagon. Uh, <laughs> Rhode Island, that's awesome. I love that they have, you know, wagon or something. Rhode Island's a really good team. They're going to win. Well, here's the thing, too. Um, and no Nolan Henderson. No Nolan Henderson is big. They followed it up with a bunt. That's genius. They almost lost to Albany. Come here. You can come on. Come on over. Come on over, Frank. Frank is my dog. Oh, we got a dog in here. Man, that was – I didn't expect a screen, but God, I didn't see that coming. What a one-two pitch and just obliterated. Frank, who do you got? Frank's telling me to go with Delaware, but I am going to go against Frank's wishes, and I'm going to pick Rhode Island because no Nolan Henderson is huge um, for Delaware. They also almost – I should 
I'm going to say a reminder here that I probably shouldn't do out of fear, but I don't, I can't remember if I actually said this online last week. If no, I shouldn't say it because then people will know based on nothing. Anyway, we, there's an internal punishment with our friend group based on whoever wins this game. Oh, that's right. I forget about that now that no one's <laughs> there. Yeah, there's, there's an internal bet. All right, Villanova at JMU. I'll take JMU 30, 31 to 24. I'm going to take JMU 38, Villanova 35. Oh, that would be a fun one to watch. Right? Um, yeah. Albany at William & Mary. Albany just, like, hasn't scored. Like, they just don't score points. Like, you look at all their it's games, and it's like, good. wow, they were close. In... Yeah, it's like, wow, they were close in that game. And then you look at the stats, and it's like, why did the offense do literally nothing the entire game? So I, I have a hard time picking teams. This is, like, a just a thing of mine. I have a hard time picking teams who can't score points. Yeah, so I mean, that take is a big part of football, so that makes sense. Yeah, the other thing is when teams can't stop other teams. I don't like to pick them. But William Mary had a bye. They're playing at home. We both like Hollis Mathis in that offense. They got some guys who can make plays. I think they'll they'll beat Albany. I also think Albany at this point is absolutely checked out. Like I don't think Albany cares anymore. That and also I was looking when I was doing the power rankings. William and Mary is not as good as I thought they were. They're a terrible passing offense and they're an okay running offense. But with that being said, Albany is also one of the worst teams from top to bottom in the CAA. So um, I believe William and Mary wins. I don't think Albany's good. I was all aboard the Albany hype train two seasons ago, and now I'm all the way off. William & Mary, the tribe, they get the win. Stony Brook goes to Towson. Who do you got? This game might be the worst game ever. Like, this, uh, it's two teams that are, like, not even that close to each other. Like, if either of these teams just disappeared from the CAA, like, they just left the conference, would anyone notice? Well, Stony Brook probably not because they're only in it for football. But Towson, I would say people would probably notice because they're in it for all sports. You might notice at some point. But are they good at any of the sports? Probably not. So I'm not impressed with Towson. They played a good schedule. So, like, it's kind of hard to get a real vibe for them and if they're any good or not. But I'm not overly impressed with that team. Not that I'm impressed with Stony Brook. But Stony Brook fought Rhode Island so hard. They Honestly, oh, God, I hate both these teams so much. I don't think either team's any good. I honestly I'll take like, Stony – Okay. I'm taking, I'm taking Stony Brook just because I feel like in the past they've found ways to, like, not have horrendous seasons. Um, so I'll take them. But uh, betting them after last, the last couple of weeks feels like a mistake. Yeah, so thank you for doing that because I'm going to go Towson, and this is when I make up a game on you because I – I have no faith in Stony Brook, and I also have no faith in Towson. But this is one of those the instances that it's at Towson, so like that might play like a role into it. But I mean, there's neither team's good, so kind of a well, that's not true at all. Two of the games, two of the five games, I think are really great conference matchups. Delaware, Rhode Island, I think is a really fun one, um, and then. Villanova, James Madison's a good one. If you live in, like, the D.C. area, you can watch uh, JMU on NBC Sports Washington. So if you also have a Flow subscription, you might want to pull up a laptop or something and watch Delaware-Rhode Island because I do think that game has a chance to be really competitive. And in all honesty, those two games, Delaware-Rhode Island, Villanova-JMU, both have 
not just playoff implications, but seeding implications. 100%. It also, it wouldn't shock me if, like, literally all four of those teams in those games made the playoffs. Like, those are the four they should. teams that make all it. All four of those should. I don't know. I mean, I don't really know. Maybe UNH, maybe Richmond are the other two teams. But all four of those teams at this point should make the playoffs. Yeah, I totally agree. All right. Cool. I'm glad we agree on everything. Um, Anything else? A little quick Olympic sports wrap-up. You got anything there? Yeah, men's soccer has been really good. Um, They are up to, I think they're nine, eight and two. They're eight and two. They play Wednesday. They play Mount St. Mary's. No idea how good Mount St. Mary's is. There must have been like midterms or something because it felt like everyone except football has had the last like week or so not playing games, which my guess was academic reasons or it's just really weird scheduling. I don't know. But they've won four in a row. One of the wins is at, against Virginia. That was in September. Virginia's like kind of having a down year, but they're also playing pretty hard and they've been really close to a lot of games. So that's still a good win. Um, yeah, I've been impressed with them. And, and women's soccer is now into conference play, which I think is going to yield a lot of really positive results. Yeah, 100%. And, yeah, number 18 in the poll for men's soccer, which is great. Um, Miranda Stanhope won CAA Runner of the Week in cross country, so that's big. And Shipley, men's golf, uh, leads Dukes at Rich Harvest Intercollegiate. Neil Shipley, he used a final round 67 to vault up the leaderboard Shout out Jason Crutch for this fantastic write-up and into a tie for 14th among 80 players. Not bad at all. Field hockey's won three in a row. Now the schedule has kind of lightened up a bit. Uh, they're undefeated in conference play. Should be in the mix in that group. Um, yeah, they're playing well. Volleyball hasn't played in a little while, but they have a really good record. They're 9-3. So, I mean, just a lot of really positive developments. Um, interested to see how football progresses and just absurdly excited for both basketballs to start. Yes. And uh, as of right now, I think we're both planning to be in Harrisonburg for the JMU UVA game. Tuesday game. I'm going with the second I get a new job because I'm fun employed right now. I'm going to request that day off and uh, I'm going to be in Harrisonburg for that game. Yeah. I, I will see myself probably buying tickets. If you buy tickets, can you buy me one, too? Yes. I'll buy you one if I buy them first. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> this sounds perfect. And now that it's on a podcast, you have to abide by it. No, I have to do it. Well, for Bennett Conlin, I hope he has nothing else to say. My name's Jack Fitzpatrick. You guys have a wonderful rest of your day. See ya. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.